I want to introduce you to a new series this morning called Solas. Solas. It's pronounced just like you spell it. It's from the Latin word meaning alone. And so it was appropriate that we close our worship set with a song that says, You are God alone. There are three major events that take place every year on October 31st, and I'm sure you know what at least one of them is. Every year on October 31st, uh, there are children all over the country and even all over the world who dress up in different costumes and go house to house. I don't know what it's going to look like this Halloween. That's not up to me. That's up to the city of Robinson. But in general, they go knock on doors and collect candy. It's a holiday we know as... Halloween. Everyone knows October 31st is Halloween, but there are two other major celebrations that I think you guys have been missing. The second one, and I'm, I'm going to introduce you to it, I'm sure you have not heard of this one before, but it is equally important to Halloween if you celebrate Halloween, and that is on October the 31st, my mother celebrates her birthday. So from now on, every time you celebrate that holiday, you need to remember it's Pastor Trey's mom's birthday today. I hope she's having a good day. If you want to say a little prayer for her, Lord, I just pray that Jana Hodge is having a wonderful day today as she celebrates her 39th birthday again. Lord, thank you so much for your goodness to her. There's a third major event that I will say has changed history more than any of those other two events uh, could ever imagine. And it's one that as, as Christians, I think we ought to know about, I don't know that it's a holiday that very many people celebrate, but on October the 31st of 1517, a man by the name of Martin Luther took 95 statements of faith called 95 Thesis and nailed it to his church door as questions, really, about whether the church was faithfully practicing what the Word of God taught. And so 503 years ago, on October the 31st, this single event changed the course of church history. And that is not an understatement. I get asked a lot, why are there so many different denominations? And I will tell you, a lot of it can be traced back to October the 31st, 1517. Up to that point, there was only one church. It was called the Unified Church, or uh, use the word Catholic Church. They still carry that on today. Literally, it means unity. There was just one church. There were other branches of, of denominations, or what we call denominations, but they weren't even minorities. They were, they were counted in the dozens in their community, not in the millions um, you had, were hard-pressed to find any congregation meeting that was not a part of the one holy, unified Catholic Church. And that sounds great and wonderful. By the way, that's exactly what heaven and eternity will be like. There will not be denominations in heaven. There will be one gathering for worship of the true God. But the problem in the 1500s is that for for better than a century, this church had been so intertwined with, with government and particularly uh, with power that it had become extremely corrupt. And so this young monk named Martin Luther starts studying Scripture for himself. The history of why he decided to study Scripture for himself um, really is, is fascinating, too. We don't have time to get into all that. It may come out in future sermons. But as he does, he has questions 
Is the church really doing what the Bible says it should do? And so on a number of occasions, he had done something very similar to this. Posted questions for the town folks to read and decide, is this really what we should be doing and practicing? One of the major ones that really got Martin Luther fired up was they were selling what they called indulgences. Uh, This was something you could purchase pay for at a very high price, give money to the church, and the priest of that congregation would effectively make it so that you would skip purgatory and get to spend eternity with Christ in heaven. Literally, they were selling salvation. And Martin Luther saw this and he said, there's something wrong with this. There's no monetary value you can place to faith in Christ. This, among many other things, uh, caused him to this particular day post on his door just 95 statements leading to questions about whether we were doing things right or not. He did not expect this to change history. As a matter of fact, he had done this before and it was basically ignored. But somehow or another, somebody got a hold of this and through the the newly invented printing press decided to start uh, creating these pamphlets of his 95 thesis and it spread all throughout Europe. And in doing so, it made Martin Luther uh, a heretic. Why would you question the church? The church is the authority above all and you have dared to question the church. So they they came together at what they're called the Diet of Worms. It's this meeting uh, where they were basically calling on Martin Luther to recant his statements. You must believe something different. And in this particular meeting, Martin Luther struggled mightily because he knew that being a heretic meant certain death. But he also knew that the word of God was more valuable than the word of the church. So when they call him together for this particular meeting, he's uh, very concerned, very worried, as I'm sure most of you all would be. And so he basically says, give me a night to sleep on it. So the, the decision he has to make overnight is, will you renounce your statement and claim that the church and the church alone has the authority to tell people how to live? Or will you stick to your statement and be put to death? He sleeps on it. He gets up the next morning and everyone's expecting him to recant his statement. I uh, repent. I want your forgiveness and I fully submit to whatever the Pope and the church has to say. He stands up and he says, this is the English translation of his, his speech. He says, unless I am convinced by the testimony of the scriptures or by clear reason, for I do not trust either in the Pope or in councils alone, since well known that they have often erred and contradicted themselves, I am bound by the scriptures I have quoted, and my conscience is captive to the word of God. I cannot and I will not recant anything, since it is neither safe nor right to go against conscience. May God help me. Amen. That statement made him officially a heretic, and the death penalty was on his head. Through political manipulation that we can praise God for, he escaped and continued to write and debate and grow a movement that called on a formation of trusting in the word of God alone. And out of this reformation came five doctrinal statements that really weren't ratified till earlier in the 1900s, much later than Martin Luther, but these five statements, these sola statements, these alone statements is what sparked a 
a new understanding of what a Christian should be. It is no longer based on what man tells you, but it's based on what Scripture teaches. And so we're going to begin a series on these five solas. Uh, And so we're going to start with where I think Martin Luther would have wanted us to start and where the Word of God makes emphatic, and that is with this idea of sola scriptura, that is, Scripture alone. Sola scriptura, Scripture alone. Alone. If you have your Bible, turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 3. Our main text this morning is going to be 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. A very powerful and a very popular and common passage in churches about the authority of Scripture alone. As you turn there, I want us to remember that the importance of these solas is not to retain information. It's not just for us to go, Scripture is authority alone. It's for us to put it into practice. Our doctrine, what we believe, should drive our actions, what we do. And so my goal over the next five weeks as we look at these is not to fill your head with information about what these doctrines are. Instead, we're going to ask ourselves, how do we properly understand what they are, and then how do we apply them? What do I need to do with this? Because doctrine helps us none if we don't put it into practice. So we'll begin by reading 2 Timothy this morning, 3, verses 16 and 17. And as we read this together, we're not only going to see what Scripture is, but we're going to dissect it and find what then we should do with it. Read with me in verse 16 of 2 Timothy chapter 3. All Scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. We're going to really delve into what this passage is telling us and meaning for us. But I want you to know that of the five sola doctrines, the alone doctrines, none of them hold any ground unless sola scriptura, scripture alone, is our foundation. It is what all the other doctrines are built on. Do you believe that the Bible alone is the authority of God's word? Is it really the sole authority that we can trust? Now, it's important to understand that what we're not teaching is is that scripture is the only authority Period. Now, back up a little bit. Scripture is the ultimate authority, but here's what I mean by that. God has instituted and given us other authorities not in the realm of Scripture. Scripture tells us there are other authorities outside of the realm of Scripture. For instance, in Scripture, it tells you to obey your mother and father as your authority figure. Your parents, children, your parents are your authority that you are to obey. However, Scripture is our ultimate authority. So if they ask you to do something outside of Scripture, right, then you can fall back on, you may be my authority, and I need to follow you, but you're not my ultimate authority that I'm bound by. It also doesn't mean that that we can ignore governments or ignore uh, what God has placed over us as as, uh, as far as mayors and governors and presidents. We are bound, according to Scripture, to be obedient to the governing authorities because God has given us those authorities. However, 
If a government authority asks us to go against Scripture, we have alone the authority of Scripture. So what we're not saying is, don't do anything unless the Bible tells you to do it. What we're saying is, check everything with the Bible. This book does not tell us how to change oil in our car. This book doesn't tell us what chores we're supposed to do in our household. This book doesn't tell us whether or not we should meet in person or not meet in person when there's a pandemic. Instead, this book gives us principles by which we turn to. And ultimately, if there's conflicting authorities, this one, this word of God, is our ultimate authority. Sola Scriptura means that the Bible alone is our ultimate authority. There was another phrase that some people like to use. It was called nude scriptura. That literally, if you're writing it down and taking notes, you get to write the word nude in church this morning. In Latin, it's pronounced nude, and that means only scripture and nothing else. This is the concept that many people today basically say it's me and my Bible. Nobody else can tell me what to do. Well, there is truth that the Word of God compels us, but we're reminded that the Word of God also tells us to learn from others. It it tells us to follow Paul as he follows Christ. It encourages us to build one another up in a faith community. It's not okay for you to say, I don't need the church because I've got my Bible in my house and I'm good enough. That's not what Scripture would teach us and that's not what this doctrine is. There are others who God uses to help us unpack the truths of Scripture. What Sola Scriptura tells us is that the Bible alone is our binding authority. There are really four attributes of Scripture that the Reformers and Martin Luther really honed in on, and those four can be summed up with the acronym SCAN, S-C-A-N. These four attributes were this, the Bible is sufficient, the Bible is clear, the Bible is authoritative, and the Bible is necessary. They would say the Bible is sufficient in that it it has everything that we need. The Bible is clear that it's not got a hidden message behind it. It tells us what we need to know. The Bible is authoritative above all else, and the Bible is necessary. We can't live without it. I think that's a good summary for what the Bible is. So let's start off by just asking ourselves, what does this doctrine mean? And particularly, what does the Bible say about itself? If it is the Word of God, how are we to understand it? And I think that's where 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 helps us to know the details of what Scripture is. The first thing we find in in 2 Timothy 3 is that Scripture is inspired by God. It is inspired by God. There are only two places that we know of in all of history, where God uses his breath in creation. One is when he creates a human being for the first time. He takes his hands and he forms the body and it says he breathes life into it. For all the rest of creation, he speaks and it appears, but for humanity, he breathes and it comes to life. The only other place that we see God's breath Manifested is here in 2 Timothy chapter 3. Look with me at verse 16 again. All scripture is breathed out by God. This is a literal translation. Your translation may say, is God breathed or inspired? 
But literally, that word means that God's breath is what the Word of God is. It's the very breath He breathes. It's literally not just something He says, but something He is. A part of Him that flows out naturally. Just as you inhale and exhale air. When God exhales, it is His authoritative Word of God. This is different than saying the Bible contains God's words or the Bible gives us a key to unlock God's words. No, Scripture, it says, is the very breath and essence of who God is Himself. When we say Scripture alone, there is nothing else in all of history that we have written and documented or spoken before us that we can understand clearly is the essence of who God is. The closest thing we have is looking at the image of God of humanity, breathed out and reflecting God's character. But of course, you and I are fallen and broken and have damaged that image. The Word of God is perfect. So while we can look to others as an image, a broken image of what God wants us to be, we cannot understand it fully without going to the inspired, breathed out Word of God. All Scripture is His very breath. Secondly, it tells us in 2 Timothy that that all Scripture is applicable. It's applicable. It has relevance to our lives. I'll be honest, I I have a hard time with this. I had a good discussion with Tracy just a couple of weeks ago about how some Scripture makes us scratch our heads and go, why is that in there? My favorite one, and and I didn't bring this up to him, but my favorite one is there's a a passage in the Old Testament um, that says if two men are fighting, And the wife of one of them comes out and seizes her husband's assailant by the private parts, cut off her hand, and show her no pity. Now, you find the application in that one for me real quick. If you're taking notes, can you jot that down? By the way, I've shared that with my wife to know. If I get in a disagreement with someone, you just stay away. We don't need to have any interactions that would cause us to have to amputate a hand. I don't understand what God's teaching me in that moment, but here's what I know. All scripture has purpose. I often wonder, what was the situation that rose up that made God say, Moses, write this down for me. Make sure the people know that if this happens again, that these are the consequences, right? Sometimes we come to places in scripture and we say, I don't know how this applies, but here's the truth that I do know. God has a purpose for it. I'll tell you why I think that's in there. I don't know. But what is in there is to remind us that quarreling and fighting is something petty and that that we shouldn't try to get in the middle of it, that we we should try to uh, maybe think before we speak. There's all sorts of applications we can try to find in there, and maybe it applies to you different times in a different place of life. But here's the promise we have. There is no word in Scripture that is there by accident. Every word has meaning and application to our lives. That's why he says also in verse 16, it's profitable for teaching or for reproof, for correction and for training in righteousness. All scripture is profitable. It's applicable. There are things in our lives that we have questions about and scripture is where we turn to to find the application and the answers. Truth be told, a lot of Scripture is hard for us to understand. There are passages that we, we don't know why they're there. I don't know why God recorded for us that Elijah was so offended by being called bald that he sent a bear to maul a group of kids. I don't know why God tells us that story, except this, to know that it's in there because God has something for me to learn. 
as I read the whole of Scripture, you know what I learn and find? That there are more clear parts of Scripture that just say, do this, Trey. Don't do that. Guard yourself. Live in this way. There are more clear parts of Scripture than there are confusing parts. And those confusing parts often are in context that lead up to a very clear teaching and understanding. All Scripture is profitable. All Scripture teaches us or tells us what we've done wrong in reproof or corrects us, tells us how to fix it and make it right or trains us, tells us how to teach it to others. All Scripture has application. And then finally, in 2 Timothy, we read that Scripture is enough. That it alone can do these things. It alone is inspired by God. It alone has authority. It's sufficient for our lives. That's why in verse 17 it tells us that in reading Scripture, the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. There is nothing we lack when we read Scripture. There may be questions we have. There may be things that are not answered, or or we might be confused about some things, but reading the Word of God gives you everything you need to make you a complete man and woman of God. Scripture is enough. There's some really good books. I've pointed people to some really good books to turn to, to help kind of expand on the Bible. Maybe it's a self-help type, a Christian counseling type book. Maybe it's a book that can point us in a right direction, but it's not enough to make us complete. There are a lot of good preachers. We subscribe to something called Right Now Media where there are literally thousands and thousands of videos of preachers expanding on the Word of God. They're amazing, and they're great, and I encourage you to watch them. But watching them is not enough to make you complete in the Word of God. Someone has asked recently, why do I need to read the Bible for myself when there are people who can explain it much better than I could ever understand it? And my answer to them is because getting it secondhand will never complete you. It may help you, It may guide you, but it cannot make you complete. On the flip side, if you never listen to another sermon, if you never read another book outside of Scripture, I do think you'll be lacking in some understanding. There's some good ways you can grow and learn, but you can have enough in the Word of God itself. There's enough there that will teach and guide, reproof and correct. It will make you complete and equipped for every work that God has for you. So as we understand sola scriptura, the doctrine itself is that scripture is inspired by God. It's his very breath. That it it is applicable to our lives. It, It gives us something to act on. And thirdly, it is enough. It is sufficient. It's all that we need. So how do we apply that in our everyday life? Knowing the truth about scripture and scripture alone. How do we apply that? I want to share with you three things. They're in your bulletin. You can jot down or fill in the blanks. Three ways that we need to look at Scripture and apply it to our lives. First is this. Scripture is the authority which all other authorities submit to. Scripture is the authority which all other authority submits to. That is, we don't abandon other authorities. We don't give up listening to to what God has appointed as authorities in our life, but every one of those must submit and bow to Scripture. 
Now, I understand there are times that you'll come to me or, or come to maybe a Christian man or woman that you respect and say, I'm struggling with this here and I don't know how to apply this necessarily. Um, I think God's calling me to do this, but my authority's telling me to do that. And there's kind of a gray area and I don't know what's right and I don't know what's wrong. Can you help me figure out whether I obey or whether I follow my conscience? And over and over and over again, I ask the question, what does the Bible say? More often than not, people ask that question because they don't know what the Bible says. The only way you will know what authority to submit to is if you are in the Bible for yourself. Scripture alone gives us the understanding. And I know what you're saying because we're Baptists and we have a reputation among other denominations to kind of be sticks in the mud and, and it's just the Bible and pounding it. And what about the Holy Spirit? Well, aren't you going to let the Holy Spirit guide you? There are denominations that will say to to trust Scripture alone is to deny what the Holy Spirit may be speaking to you. Truth be told, if we ignore the Holy Spirit, we're in as much sin as if we ignore the Word of God. But I'll tell you, Scripture tells us clearly how we're to interact with that as well. Scripture tells us clearly that you cannot separate the Word and the Spirit. Look with me in John chapter 6, verse 63. It'll be up on the screen. Jot it down and look it up later. John 6, verse 63 says this, It is the Spirit who gives life, and the flesh is no help at all. If you stop right there, you say, Aha! It's the Spirit. Your flesh and your words can do nothing. They don't help you at all. But look at the next part of this verse. The words that I've spoken... The words that I've given, the Holy Scriptures themselves, the words that I've spoken to you are spirit and life. Jesus himself says you cannot separate the word of God from the spirit of God. The spirit of God only ever speaks what he's already given us in the word. And if he ever contradicts it, let me tell you, it is not the spirit you want to follow. Are we in tune to what the Spirit says? Absolutely. And we're reminded that God has given us His Spirit in written form. That the word that Jesus has spoken to us is Spirit and is truth. The Holy Spirit will work more in your life through this book than He ever will a thought in your head. I promise. You will never experience the Holy Spirit in the same way as when you open the Word of God and read it. If you want to understand the Spirit, you have to understand the Word. What about Jesus? Aren't Jesus' words and His his teachings more important than the rest of Scripture? Can't we say that that we need to follow Jesus and, and we'll figure out the rest later? And I think that there's some truth to having a high priority in our faith in Christ. But look what... Look what John also tells us about Jesus and his word in John chapter 1, verse 14. And the word became flesh, this is the word, became flesh and dwelt among us. And we've seen his glory, the glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John chapter 1 tells us that the word of God, his words that are breathed out, put on flesh and blood and became the person of Jesus Christ. You will never experience a closer faith in Jesus than when you experience him in the writing he has given us. You cannot separate following Christ from his word. That conscience, that voice in your head, that that Christian teacher or author, that close friend who always has good advice, may guide and direct you. 
But if it doesn't line up with Scripture, if that authority goes against your ultimate authority, the only ultimate authority, then it must be ignored. Scripture is the authority which all other authority submits to. Secondly, it's important as we're applying this to understand that knowing Scripture is the only way to know God's will for your life. Knowing Scripture is the only way to know God's will for your life. It's not as if it's a good general way or a good place to start. Scripture alone tells us what God's will is for your life and my life. Now again, what Scripture does not do is says, uh, Trey, what I want you to do when you turn uh, 16 years old is surrender to ministry and go to Boyce College where you're going to get a degree in youth ministry, but I'm going to use that to grow you and teach you to be a pastor at First Baptist Church in 2020. I've not found that passage of Scripture yet, even though that's God's will for my life. Right? I- I've not found that particular wording. Maybe I've got the wrong translation, but I have a hard time finding those details. But you know what Scripture does tell me? Scripture tells me clearly that I am to to follow and listen when he says, go and evangelize. It's that idea that, that Christ has told me to share the gospel with others that formed my calling into being a pastor. There's Scripture that tells me that I am to raise my children in Christian and loving homes, that I'm to be fruitful and multiply and invest in the next generation. And so while Scripture didn't tell me to have three kids, two girls and a boy, Scripture told me that that was coming and to be ready to be a godly father. Scripture did not have Hannah's name as Hannah Bachelor from the 20th century that Trey is to marry, but Scripture told me what I'm supposed to do when I do get married. Scripture told me how I'm supposed to love and support my wife. While I don't have the details of what minute by minute, day by day God has for me, Scripture is the only way I can understand how to tackle God's will in my life. The truth is God uses all sorts of circumstances that are different for every one of us. And there's lots of good advice we can follow. But it's Scripture alone that gives us authoritatively how we're to interact. And then finally, as we're applying this, Scripture is not only the only way to know God's will for our life, knowing Scripture is enough to know God's will for your life. We chase, we chase devotion and inspiration in so many places. Can I tell you that morning devotional you do is a good thing to do? You should continue to do that morning devotional. The one that has one verse at the top and then three paragraphs of someone's illustrations. Those are good to do. But if that's your Bible intake for the day, you've just read three paragraphs of man and one sentence of God's word. You've got it backwards. Scripture is enough. You don't have to have three paragraphs of commentary. You have to have the word of God. So read your devotional. Don't stop reading your devotional. But open your Bible to that passage and read the whole chapter. God, what else are you teaching me? What else are you showing me? That book that you picked up at the library or the Christian bookstore that tells you how to have a stronger faith is a good book. There's some good authors. Pick that book up and read it. But if that's what your Christian growth is all about, is in a book, set it down. And every time they reference a passage of Scripture, set your book down and read the passage of Scripture. Because Scripture is enough. The other things are helpful, but they're not necessary. The other things will guide you, but they won't change you the way the Word of God does. That preacher you like to listen to, 
whether it's me, I know you guys love just listening to my sermons again after I preach them on Sunday morning. You probably have it on your podcast, listen to it Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday as well. But if it's not me and it's someone else, well, he's just got this amazing voice. But when he preaches, you can hear the word of God coming out of his mouth. Maybe it's a really cool accent, right? Man, that's Scott, I love to hear a Scottish preacher. It's really, just really, I don't know, it's something that's amazing, right? Or maybe it's, it's the way he breaks down the word of God. And that preacher you listen to, keep listening to him. If they're teaching sound biblical doctrine, don't stop. But when he preaches the word, don't let that be your intake. Turn to the Bible yourself. Read it for yourself. Just recently, I had someone who shared with me an inspirational quote they had seen on, on Facebook. And it was a good inspirational quote and had a Bible verse attributed to it. And I thought, this is a, a wonderful quote and I want to share it. And praise God that they were wise enough not to just share it, and say, this is enough, but turn in the Bible for themselves, only to find that Bible verse doesn't exist. The quote was nice, the quote was fine, but it wasn't Scripture. Praise God that they could look at it and say, Scripture's enough, I don't need to make up other pithy quotes. The Bible is enough. I tell you, as we're applying sola scriptura to our daily lives, the real application is, God has revealed his word to you, his very essence to you in written form. It's in front of you to give you everything you need to be complete and carry out his will for your life. How is it that God gives you the plan, that God himself reveals himself to you? How is it we can set it on a coffee table and let it collect dust? I challenge you, if scripture alone is your authority, know what it says, read it, study it, Crave it and beg. God, teach me. Reproof me. Correct me and train me in your word. Let's pray together. Father, you are good and faithful to us that you have revealed yourself in your word. Father, there are so many other places we can turn to for help and for guidance. We thank you for the authorities and the leaders you've put to help us in life. We don't neglect them, but Lord, we recognize they're fallen, whereas your word is perfect. Father, I ask that you would give me a craving to turn to your word above all else. Lord, let me match every authority up against what your word says. Lord, let me make your word my ultimate and only authority. Father, we ask this in your name. Amen.